Good morning. Good morning and welcome to this chapel on Friday morning, October 24th. We welcome you to this space. My name is Bob Yoder and I'm one of the campus pastors here. And we want to extend a special welcome to guests that we have here on campus. Uh, today is an open house day with a number of prospective students here. And so we welcome you to this place. In this half hour of our chapel this morning, we will hear from uh, Tim DeMott, our new athletic director, part of his faith journey, a story, uh, part of his faith story. And as we center ourselves for worship, I invite you to listen to the words of the prophet Jeremiah. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will hold you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." And as we open up our chapel this morning, I light this oil lamp as a reminder of God's presence with us in this sacred half hour, and also as a reminder that God walks with each of us in our own faith journeys that are unfolding. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we gather here on this rainy, cool morning, a reminder of your creation. We welcome those who are new on this campus, who are exploring, who are discerning their own next steps. We also welcome back to students and faculty and staff from fall break. May it have been a time of, of respite, renewal, as we journey to the last half of the semester. I also pray that you be with Tim this morning as he speaks and shares with us. In your holy name, amen. Good morning, I'm Deb Brubaker from the music department. Let's sing together as we begin our worship. In your blue hymnal, a worship book, please turn to number 43. Christ is our cornerstone. These words, are very old. They were originally written in Latin in the 6th or 7th century and translated about 200 years ago into English. So we sing a very ancient idea from the church. Christ is our cornerstone. Let's stand to sing.
now in that same book, would you turn to hymn number 112? 112. And this, I think, is also up on the screen. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic. We'll sing through it twice. step out of line here and say, I think we can do a better job of praising God than that. Would you stand, please, and sing to God from your soul, and there is room in this song for every voice. So let's just sing the whole thing again, and I see some hands raised, and if you want to show your appreciation that way, you are welcome to do so. We'll sing it through again twice.
Amen, Deb. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, it's been a long week for me, even though it was fall break. I feel like I'm still worn out a little bit. Maybe I didn't get enough rest at home, but I don't know if you can relate to that. But you know what? When all is said and done, I, I've been reminded of that just in the last, I would say, minute. God is good, and uh, God is faithful, and I believe that in the deepest part of me. And uh, there's room for skeptics and cynics in this world, but there's room for belief. There's room for believers, and uh, if you seek, you'll, you will find I think that with the deepest part of me too. And I, I would encourage you guys that believe out there to live it, to really live it. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to fall short and struggle, me too. I do it all the time. But really try to passionately live it. But okay, anyway, I was asked to introduce uh, Tim today. And <clears throat> I, uh, I met Tim for the first time last spring. Uh, I was actually fortunate enough to sit in on the interviews, the student-athlete interviews, uh, with the three candidates that the, the athletic department had narrowed it down to. Three great candidates, honestly. The college did a great job of choosing people to be interviewed. Um, the, the, the first two guys uh, were good, but Tim was actually the last interview. And it was one of those deals where the, uh, something happened and they weren't sure if he was going to come. And then I found out he was coming. I was like, oh, I'm excited. This should, this should be good. I was really impressed right away, first of all, with his vision for the college. Uh, Notably in athletics, obviously he is the athletic director. Um, I think you saw a glimpse of that last night. How many of you guys went to Purple and White night? Yeah. Is that cool? I mean, obviously I, I was a part of it, so for me it was awesome. I'm a senior this year. Um, I, didn't, I don't know if I introduced myself. I'm Bryce Bo, by the way, I am a senior. But I've been around a little bit, and that to me was awesome, to see you guys there supporting us. Uh, that's something that, oh man, I can't tell you how much that, that meant to me. And hopefully we can continue to do that throughout the season. And hopefully if we do our part and win games, it'll be easier for you to come and cheer us on. But anyway, um, Tim has, a, has an awesome vision, I think, for us as an athletic department and as athletes, but also for the entire college and how that relates to athletics. But also what impressed me about Tim a lot was uh, how he related faith and athletics. And for that's something I'm really passionate about, and I think there is definitely um, some similarities there and some, some value in athletics. And um, Tim, Tim really impressed me. Uh, the last couple weeks, we've, we've been trying to start Fellowship of Christian Athletes on campus. We got a gathering, I don't know, nine or ten students. And Tim has been to every meeting we've had so far, every gathering, uh, offering some, some really cool insights and stuff. So I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Um, hopefully you'll listen with open ears. I think you'll enjoy it, too. So without further ado, our new athletic director, Tim DeMont. Actually, Bryce, I, I think I may just let you finish. And <laughs> Good morning. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here this morning. Um, to be honest, I'm, I'm way out of my comfort zone. Uh, normally I'm used to sitting behind a desk or in the gym and I actually thought about asking Bob if we could move chapel to the gym just to kind of <laughs> give me a little bit of a home court advantage um, but I figured he'd say no so um, so in spite of me I trust that uh, God would use my words this morning to uh, speak to you where you're at I know we're all at different places in life and so I, I trust that um, I'd fade into the background and, and the words would uh, would be used by God to, to speak to you 
Um, after Bob uh, finished twisting my arm and I finally agreed to, to share my faith story this, this morning, um, he asked if I had a title for it. And so I, I thought, thought, well, you know, I've got to come up with something creative and, you know, something good that's going to kind of get people to come out. And I just started thinking about it, and I don't know if it was the, the fear of that if I had a great title, people would expect a profound story, um, but for some reason the creative juices didn't, uh, didn't flow and uh, I didn't really come up with anything. And so what I, uh, the fallback was uh, quoting the lessons of my life, um, and you'll, you'll understand later on why the title is what it is. As I look back over my life so far, um, I'd say there's nothing really unique about my life. Uh, aside from the fact that it's uniquely mine um, and nobody else can claim a, a story like mine. Now some of you may you know, resonate with you know, different aspects of my life and circumstances. Um, you may say, you know, yeah, that's me. Others of you may say, no, that's, that's not even close to me. And so my hope this morning is not to, uh, you know, not to have you look at my life and, and try to you know, relate um, the aspects of my life to yours but more to um, pull some of the, the lessons I've learned so far in my life. The, uh, the theme for this, for this year, uh, sensing God's hope, claiming God's hope, um, I think is, is very uh, evident um, I, in my life, and, and I've actually seen uh, quite a bit on, on campus so far. Being new, you, you bring an outside perspective and you see things for the first time, and, uh, it's been, it's been a, definitely a pleasure to, to, to become integrated into to Goshen and, and everything that it has to offer. And, and those of you that are new and checking uh, this place out, um, I encourage you to, to ask the tough questions, to, to talk to students, to find out if this is the place for you. Um, and, I'm, and I'm pretty confident that as you do that, um, you'll, you'll like the answers you're getting. I am a Canadian, uh, proud to be, yes. <laughs> we, uh, we have a few fellow BCers out here. Uh, I've spent the last 17 years in, in British Columbia and, and just recently moved uh, a little, little closer to where I grew up. I grew up in Kitchener, Ontario. Uh, I grew up in a great family. Uh, my parents not only taught me the gospel, but uh, more importantly, they lived it. And I feel extremely blessed uh, to be or to have grown up in the family that I did. Um, I look at you know, who I am, and, and it really is a result of, of who, you know, my parents, what my parents modeled and, and, and what they taught me to be. And while my parents are far from perfect, um, they were real, and I saw uh, and experienced an authentic Christianity. Um, it wasn't some religion, we didn't just go to church, but you know, w w as I looked at my parents, and when you're a kid, you don't necessarily distinguish between what is tradition and what is authenticity, but as, I, as I've got hindsight and I look back and I realize that, you know, yeah, they, they made mistakes and they weren't perfect, um, but as I'm sure most of you students will discover as, as you get older, they're, they're more perfect than you, ex than you think right now or that you thought when you were in high school. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for my parents, and, and I think because of that, I, I learned early on the reality of who God is, and, and because of that, uh, I made a, you know, I, I committed my life to Christ when I was fairly young. I, in fact, I, I did it about seven or eight times just to make sure. <laughs> you know, God, God's pretty busy, and so I thought, well, maybe he didn't hear the first one. And, and so as, as a youngster and as a, a typical type A personality, I'm pretty committed to the things that I, I put my mind to. And, and I, I took my faith pretty seriously, and, and I, I did my devotions in the morning, got up, read the Bible. 
uh, went to church camps, youth group, um, youth conventions, those sort of things. And through that process, it, it became real, real. Um, God wasn't just something that I believed in, but he was real. Um, and so uh, for me, it, it wasn't just a theory. It was part of who I was. And so when I got to my teen years, I never really questioned my faith or strayed too far from it. Um, that's not to say I didn't do some stupid things and things I regret. And you know, I had my fair share of those, oh, you idiot moments. But, uh, you know, I think in the end, um, they were, you know, they were part of growing pains. And I, I think it was kind of the, the early foundation I had, the prayers of my parents, and the fact that it was real, that I didn't, I didn't follow a lot of my friends who, during those years, um, basically abandoned their faith and walked away from the church. Um, that, it was a challenging time, you know, when you're, when you're a, a teenager and, you know, everything else that's going on in life, um, the people that, you know, that you, you hang out with and that you kind of look to for, for your identity uh, are moving away. But for me, it, it, was, it was a huge tension. Between, how do I walk away from something that I know is real? And so it was definitely a challenge trying to maintain those relationships without doing what they were doing. Um, on the flip side, it was actually pretty good um, as a 15-year-old kid when your youth group is dominated by girls and you're the coolest guy left. It's a pretty good position to be in. Following high school, I, uh, I, I went out to the West Coast to attend a, a small Christian liberal arts university, similar to Goshen. Um, and there, I started to put some things together. Uh, growing up, you know, I knew what was right, and I usually did it, and the typical church kid. But it wasn't until I got to university that I, I kind of started to, to figure out, you know, what I was supposed to do with it. You know, yes, it's right, right but so what? What are you going to do about it? And I think it was as a result of my experiences in university that I began to hone in on kind of what makes me tick. What are my passions? You know, and, and what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Not just what am I going to do for a job, but what am I going to be? Who am I going to be as a person? And I, I started to discover how, how God could use me, um, the way he created me and, and shaped me to be. Now, I'm not, I'm not a charismatic personality. I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm not this dynamic leader that, that kind of people flock to. I've got friends like that, and I like to hang out with them. Um, but the reality is I, I learned that this is who God made me. You know, I'm, I'm a logical thinker. I'm a problem solver. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an administrator. And, and I think, you know, athletic director is a, is a perfect fit for me. Um, there's two things that I love. One is competitive athletics. Kind of makes sense. The second is working with college-age students and, and helping them to discover, to, to identify, and to work towards developing into the people they want to be. I, uh, I firmly believe that these years that you spend in college are some of the most important years of your life. Uh, for me, it was when I, I really established who I wanted to be as a person. And, you know, I know a lot of people come here with the idea of, you know, got to get an education so I can get a good job and a career and, and advance my life. But I would contend that the most important thing you'll ever get out of your college experience is a foundation of who you will be as a person. You know, when you're, when you're in, in high school, you can coast along. You're still living in your parents' house, most of you. And, and you know, you're, there's not really any sort of sense of, well, I'm on my own or I'm now determining my future. And so as, as, you, as you go through your experience here, your four years, some of you five, maybe six years here, 
you, uh, you, you start to ex be faced with, with questions. And, and the, the, the reality is you decide who you will be. And for some of you, you came here for a fresh start. You, uh, you weren't really happy with where life was going. And you thought, you know, I'll come to Goshen and, and it, it's a chance for me to, to start over. And if that's you, I really want to encourage you to, to make the most of this opportunity. Uh, the reality is you will find people that uh, were a hindrance to you as they were in high school. But you also find people that are uh, wanting to go in the same direction you are. And so I, I would strongly encourage you to, 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 one, to figure out who do you want to be. You know, and that, that might be a four-year process. But, I, you know, make the, the courageous decisions to follow that out. You know, I, I think God puts, puts things in our hearts for a reason. And uh, if, we're, if we're true to that, um, you know, I think we'll be amazed at where, where we end up. And while I have no idea what uh, my future holds, um, at this point in life, I'm living in northern Indiana. And uh, strangely, uh, I never would have pictured it, but I feel it's exactly where and what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, it's amazing when, when, you, when you have that feeling, there's just an incredible sense of peace that goes with it. And so this morning, I'd like to share three quotes with you, hence the title, Quoting the Lessons of My Life. And these three quotes represent things I've learned in my life. And, and those of you that, that, or those of, that know me uh, know that I love quotes. Um, for me, a, a quote can say a lot of things in a few words, and they're pretty easy to remember. In my former job, I coached men's volleyball, and one of the things I was known for uh, was having a quote of the day at the start of every practice. And it is funny, when I, when I meet former players, you know, guys I've coached over 10 years ago, uh, they still, one of the first things they say is, hey coach, what's today's quote of the day? And so, uh, one of the ones, one of my favorites that I use in practice uh, is uh, this one right here. And it's, a, it's an old African saying, and it says, every morning on the African Serengeti, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it, knows it must run faster than the fastest lion, or it will be killed. Every morning a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve to death. Doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle, when the sun comes up, you better be running. <laughs> now, I'm sure there's some theological truth in there somewhere, but <laughs> I, I couldn't really make it work for this morning, so I decided to use three other ones. <laughs> the first quote comes from my senior year in university, uh, from a, a class called IDIS 3, or 400, Interdisciplinary Studies 400. This was one of these classes that they sprung on us in our senior year. And they, they thought it was this great thing, and it, uh, it became a grad requirement. And like most college students, we, uh, we disdained the fact that they would uh, tell us we had to do something and not give us a choice. And so, like most college students, we, we tried to rebel against it. And, you know, we wrote letters in the, the student newspaper complaining about this. We talked about boycotting the class, and if nobody showed up, then what were they going to do? They can't not graduate an entire class. Um, but in the end, we begrudgingly went to class, and... From it, there was uh, two things that I got out of it. Uh, number one, it's how I met my wife. <laughs> well, actually, it was as a result of skipping it that I, uh, I actually met her. And today, we've been married for 10 years. We have three beautiful kids, uh, Joshua, who's five, Caitlin, who's three, and kept us up most of the night with the flu, and Janae, who's uh, closing in on eight months and has uh, learned to crawl last week and is... Uh, pushing walking this week, so I've got fast achievers. 
Second thing I got from this class was a quote I read in a, in a book by uh, James Sire called Discipleship of the Mind. And in it, Sire uses a simple statement, God is God and I am not. This quote, while simple, is incredibly profound to me. In an age when our society has developed an idea that somehow God exists for our benefit, almost like we created him, this quote speaks to the sovereignty of God. And while, yes, he loves us and he's passionate about us and he intimately cares for us, he's not a spiritual butler that we can call on when we need him. And when we don't, he kind of stands off to the side waiting for us to ring a bell. From my experience, God is more than I could ever comprehend. And that I could somehow fully understand him would only minimize who God is. Why would I want to serve somebody who's a little bit more than I am? Why would I want to trust my entire life to somebody who's just a little bit more than I am. I believe this perspective needs to, or our perspective needs to be one of awe. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. Isaiah 55, nine says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. A very real example of this is, is playing out in my life right now. Uh, this summer, uh, when we moved, we sold our house on the West Coast and, uh, and took that money and, and put it in a bank in Canada. Um, after we sold, we, uh, we came to Goshen and, and we started uh, to, to have a house built for us. And at the time, we thought, well, you know, the, the Canadian banking system is one of the best in the world and, you know, the economy there is, is not that bad. And so, you know, we'd be smarter to leave our money there for the time being. Um, and, you know, at the time it was a pretty good decision and we thought, um, but as you know, over the last month, the, uh, things have gotten a little crazy in the financial worlds. And for some reason, the, uh, the Canadian dollar has lost about 20% of its value in comparison to the U.S. And so the reality is we lost a chunk of money. And, uh, you know, I still, I still don't really understand how that happens. You know, here you got an economy that's doing pretty good, a banking system that's stable, and everybody in the world kind of knows it. And then you got an economy that, you know, I don't want to say teetering on collapse, but I mean, according to some of the analysts. But uh, whatever it is, the reality is, that is reality. And it has caused me some worry, and I'd love to say that, you know, I'm mature enough in my faith that I can just kind of ride through this. And the reality is I, I check exchange rates multiple times a day to see whether it's going up or down. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure there's things I can learn about this. You know, I, I can count, learn to count my blessings and I can learn to trust God despite the circumstances. But for me to think that somehow God caused the world's economies to go into chaos to teach me a lesson or that somehow he was going to eventually fix it and we'd get all our money back and life would be great um, is not a realistic perspective of, of life for God. Um, the reality is things happen in life, some good, some bad, and those don't really change the reality of God, who God is. One of the best quotes that reinforced this idea of God is God and I am not was uh, one that I, I saw written in a, in a philosophy book that I pulled out of the library for a class, an intro to philosophy class. You know, the, the liberal arts education, you got to get everything, and so I, I took this intro to philosophy. And as I, as I was reading through this book, I came across the... Uh, Famous quote by Friedrich Nietzsche, God is dead. I'm sure you've heard it. And 
but next to it, written in pencil, somebody had written, Nietzsche is dead, God. <clears throat> it it kind of reinforced to me that God doesn't need us to believe in him to exist. He is there whether we accept it or not. <clears throat> Excuse me. This perspective has answered a lot of questions for me without ever really needing to answer a question. And so to know that God knows what's going on, even though I don't, <clears throat> brings much hope and peace. Just over six years ago, my wife was pregnant with Joshua, and they're, uh, they're out in the back there because Janae doesn't understand how to be quiet in church. Um, but we walked out of an ultrasound with a, a real uneasy feeling. About an hour later, we got a call from her doctor that we needed to see her ASAP. And when your doctor calls you, it's usually not a good sign. And so, you know, we were kind of like, uh-oh, what's going on? A couple days later, we were at BC Children's Hospital, uh, sitting with a team of about uh, eight doctors, radiologists, genetic counselors, and I don't even know who else was there. Um, and we were told that our child had a, a condition called trisomy 18, which is essentially a, a fatal diagnosis. And, and if not fatal, uh, the reality of, of them uh, living a normal life was next to zero, and, and their very survival was day to day. And so needless to say, it, uh, it, it kind of shocked us and basically turned what was supposed to be you know, one of the greatest joys of our lives into our greatest despair. And, I don't have time this morning to kind of go through the details of, of that journey. Um, and if, you know, if, if this is something that resonates with you, I, I would, I'm more than open to, to sit with you and, and talk about the, the journey we went through with this. Um, but in that journey, one of the things that, I, that became uh, real to me or that, that I learned was the, the idea that God is more concerned with my holiness than he is with my happiness. Now, that doesn't mean God didn't weep with us or that he didn't grieve as we tried to kind of come to grips with what was going on and what the future would hold. Um, I fully believe he was there as we cried out to him. And while I did ask him, you know, why, you know, what's going on? How can this happen? Don't you love us? Um, I believe, you know, he was there and he, he felt our pain. And yet I knew that regardless of the outcome, God was still God. And that I would see my son one day, whether it was in this life or the next. And while to someone that doesn't have a faith or doesn't understand the, the reality of, you know, who God is, that doesn't make a lot of sense and may sound a little morbid. But when, when, you, when you understand that God is way more and that God sees way more, it, uh, there, there is a peace in that. And whether God chose to heal Joshua or the doctors were just wrong, I don't know. And to be honest, it's irrelevant to me. Uh, I, today I've got a five-year-old son that is healthy, that loves to play sports with his dad, and is full of life. And so I am very grateful. Yet through this journey and several like it, um, I've learned that what matters more to God is the state of my soul than the state of my emotions. Um, and while we'd, I'd be the first to admit that my life has actually been pretty good in compar comparison to, to some of you maybe sitting here, um, it doesn't, the truth remains the same. God sees our lives more than the 80-some years we may have here on earth. There is, there is a whole breadth that we don't even understand. 
And yet God sees it from that perspective. He sees us in the light of eternity. And I think, you know, while it, it may be difficult, I think it, if, when we have that perspective, a lot of things come into focus. Zechariah 13.9 says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. The story of Job, uh, I'm sure most of you know it. Here's a story of a guy who was blameless and, uh, and he was basically made an example of. And He had a lot and he lost everything. And to top it off, he gets friends and a wife that are even worse. And at the end of the story, after he's endured all of this, and he's come, to face, he's come face to face with God, and God, in a sense, puts him in his place and tells him where it's at. Job's final words in the last chapter, in, in chapter 42, verses 1 to 6, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you, will, you shall answer me. And Job responds, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And it's interesting to me that here's a guy who comes face to face with God, going through everything that he's done. And his response is one of humility and repentance. The third quote I want to leave with you comes from Erwin McManus, lead pastor of a, of a church in L.A. called The Mosaic. Uh, I often uh, listen to his podcast when I run. I, I actually hate running. And so I need, I need something to distract me. And, and so I often listen to, uh, to podcasts. And in a recently one, one that I was listening to, he, he said, You'll never live the life you were created to live until you know the God who created you to live it. We were created in the image of God by a God who passionately loves us and who has a purpose for us. We were not designed to live apart from him. Until we really know the creator, you will never really understand your purposeful life. Now sure, we can, we can try to figure it out and, and take some guesses at it. and We can settle for things that we think might be good. But until we really know God, we will never really know our purpose. This is a painting I painted, and I say that in all humility. <laughs> I painted it during the senior year of, of, of university, um, and as part of my liberal arts degree, I, I had to take a fine arts class. And like many unartistic people before me, I, I looked for the easiest fine arts class I could. Fine Arts 110. Um, as part of this class, we had to paint something, anything. Didn't really have to have any sort of significance whatsoever. Um, personally, I think it was just a way for a, a teacher who was passionate about art to kill an hour with those of us who weren't. And so um, I'm not even sure why I painted it at the time. I, I just know I did. That was 13 years ago. Tells you how old I am. Um, and I still have the painting. Uh, in fact, I, I have it framed and I hang it in my bedroom. Uh, not because I think it's a nice piece of art. Um, in reality, it's actually a pretty lousy job. Um, it's too dark. It, uh, the proportions are all wrong, and it absolutely makes no sense. And, I don't know, maybe that's why it's art. <laughs> However, it is dear to me. 
Um, now you could try to guess at why it's why it's important to me. Uh, you could probably you know Google me and, and try to dig up some information to try to give you an idea of 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 you know that would help explain it. But the reality is, unless you really knew me, you would never know. Now, if you ask my wife, she could tell you in a heartbeat. Why? Because she knows me more than anybody else on earth. She has walked down the road with me. She has seen the painting played out in my life. Now, even if I spent the next hour telling you about the painting, you still wouldn't know. Because it's not enough to know about the painting. Until you know about the creator, you will never know why the painting exists. And so it is with our lives. Until we really take the time to know the creator, not just know about him, but know him, we will never be really able to fulfill our true calling. And that's the goal of my life. And so this morning I leave you with these three quotes that essentially define who I am. God is God and I am not. God is more interested in my holiness than he is my happiness. And finally, you will never live the life you were created to live until you know the God who created you to live it. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would really understand how great God is, how much he loves us, and what an amazing purpose he has for our lives. Thank you for taking the time to come out this morning and allowing me to share um, a little bit of who I am. I trust that God would use these words to speak to you in, in whatever way. And if you, uh, if you have questions or, or if there's something I said that, uh, that resonates and you, want to, and you want to talk to me about it, I would love to sit down with you. Like I said, my passion is to see college-age students grow in their understanding of who they are and the God who created them and get that fit together. Thank you.